Stay inspired on the go with Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast from internationally acclaimed executive coaches, authors and ministers, Albert and Comfort Okran. You will be inspired and challenged with strategies to consistently reach for new heights. And now, today's message. Kufida is the CEO of Rankas Solutions and he will be telling us about growth, about values, a bit about technology, dealing with change, and very importantly, how you as a small business can position yourself for the big league. And be careful what you wish for or what you pray for. Because I'm going to ask him what it is like to play in the big league. Does it take away your liberties and take away that freedom that you enjoy when you have a small business? I'm going to find out all these from my guest for tonight, Kofi Dazi, CEO of Rankard Solutions. Let me start by saying hello to you, Kofi. Good evening. Hi, good evening, Albert, and good evening to your listeners. It's always great to have you on Springboard. Uh, we'll be delving in a bit into what we call the CEO's forum, trying to take out some of the back office issues that we never get to hear about. And I'm going to find out from you the times when you sit alone and ask yourself, why did I put myself into all this trouble? But let me ask you, just just to set this discussion on the way. I'm going to come back into the the main discussion, but just to get us on our way. How does it feel like... I mean, I saw a press release just before I came in, um, released about a year or so ago, when you you struck that deal with with Intel. Let Let me ask you how it feels like to be running a business that has Intel as an interested party. Tell us about it. Thanks, Albert. Um, There are multiple feelings if you like that come with it um one is validation um and um the process that you go through as a business and as managers for um in in our case it was intel capital and at libo capital but i'll speak specifically to intel since lots of people know about intel or experience them the process that you go through for intel's investment committees to make a decision to invest in your organization is is more than any exam or much series of exams you've ever, you know, encountered. It's it's detailed. It's thorough. It makes you, as a company, um, delve into questions and aspects of what you do compared with the market, the competition, where you're coming from. More than you've probably ever done. It goes beyond any business plan you could ever write. And um, so there's a certain validation when they finally make that decision through multiple investment committees to say, okay, they're going to go ahead and make an investment in your business. Um, But more so being in Africa, where Rankard is only the second company across the continent that Intel has invested in and the only um, non-listed company south of the Sahara. So the only other company they invested in is a a company listed on Giants Beck Stock Exchange. And... um, and it's not for lack of interest. We know they are very much engaged in the continent, but again, it's a validation. Um, it's also a milestone um, to have come out of being um, a company with um, only individual investors, to have institutional investors in the business. That, has also, that was also a major milestone. I'm sure that listening tonight, there will be a number of individuals running small entities with great promise. I mean, we get to travel around the country. You've done it, um, the circuit with us um, a couple of times and you meet people with brilliant ideas and people who have, have done all they can with what they have who say, if we got some 
equity investors, some big players to make an input in what we are doing, we could take on the whole world. And so listening tonight, I'm sure they'll be asking themselves, what did you do right? What can they glean from what you did that can help attract big money players or, or, or big name players into their business? Can you share a couple of thoughts with us? Yeah. Um, a number of things. Very deliberately from the beginning, my co-founder, he and I, um, made a decision to build a company that would be very separate from us as individuals in such a way that it would be easier for not only a future investor but other people who were far more experienced um, than we were as managers and as professionals to be able to come in and take a stake. Um, and that is one of the things which a small company will have to be willing to do is to open up open up and allow other people to come in and take a significant stake um, to the extent that you will be trading a certain amount of autonomy for increased accountability but it takes some learning to understand why giving up autonomy to increase accountability could ever bring you any value and um, that is something which I, I, I think um, somewhere along in the discussion we'll get to delve in a bit more on but it's, it's, it's given up, it's essentially given up some autonomy, giving up your, your, the things that you as an individual think are best that you'd like to do without having to ask other people's opinion on and get other people to sometimes weigh in and even say no. And spreading out decision making, spreading out how your direction is determined, um, being able to share authority, you're giving up a lot of that. And what you're trading it for is increased accountability. And that's where the value lies. Right. So if I hear you right, what you're saying is this, that whilst you may desire for other people to put their money in, you will, not, you will no longer have the power to make very quick decisions and, 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 and do things at your own discretion. I mean, other players will come into the, into, the, into the scheme of affairs. And there will be times when, even though you personally feel strongly about things, there will be a no. And you have to live with that no. Absolutely. And in some of the best examples we know of, and yet we may not know of the background, such as Google, the founders that actually had to step down and have an external person brought in as a CEO because of the external capital they brought into the business. So it's, it's, um, there's certain value that as an entrepreneur, founder of a business, and in our case as a, um, a technology business, then there are certain things which you have and you've done, and a certain track record you've established that attracts people to come in with investment to help you grow and scale up as it's expressed. But in that journey, there are certain things, significant things that will also have to change. And the challenge for the entrepreneur is working and negotiating the trade-off of the things that cannot be compromised, cannot be changed, versus the things that you are allowed to be changed when you bring in your new partners. Right. I, I've, I've dealt with people who say, listen, if, if, I, if I had not done things in a particular way, you wouldn't have come to see, I mean, we wouldn't have grown to the point where you will see what we are doing and express an interest. So you must have some level of confidence in what we are doing to allow us to do it the way we are doing it. So I've met people who say, listen, we know we need money, but we are not willing to trade that 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 kind of autonomy, that hunch, that 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 thing that you can't explain, but you know, 
it's right. Have you ever felt sometimes frustrated? Just help us. Very honestly, but very honestly, yes. It's um, it's not. Um, it wouldn't even be a complete answer to say sometimes I have felt frustrated. There is going to be a constant frustration and friction in the process of growing and scaling up, and especially when you bring in private equity, which has a specific expectation in time of a return on investment and there are known methods by which companies scale up and return a significant investment so your private equity partners are bringing in this these known methods the best practice and they are going to work with you to mold your company to transform to be able to scale up and to make that return now there's an expression which our finance people always tell us think of your private equity investment as other people's monies, other people's, other people's money. The people often bringing in an investment are also investing with other people's money. So there's a chain of governance and accountability that descends upon your entity like you've never had before. Now, here's the trick. When you're doing that, you have to study deeply and understand what the philosophy of that type of money is how you can drive that within your business to control a process that gets the outcome that works for your partners and yourself together. There must be a process of alignment in making that decision. And speaking of alignment, that's one of my fundamental philosophies I've learned in business. That at every stage, at every step of the chain, there must be, think of, and, and if listeners can picture this, draw a Y or a vertical axis and place against it your X or horizontal axis and then just throw up a 45-degree line growing along the axis. Your Y axis is alignment. Your X axis is autonomy. Everybody, every professional, every manager, and more so especially entrepreneurs, want the autonomy to go out there and build and do something that they have in mind. Once you are in an organization and there are other stakeholders, first, before gaining autonomy, you must seek and get alignment. If you want autonomy, the trick is first to gain alignment with the people who can actually release you to act. And the best example of this is Jesus Christ himself, who was often on a routine basis while being God on earth, stealing himself away to a mountain to pray and get alignment with his God. And then he'd come back down the mountain and act. And he was autonomous in his acting to the extent that he was aligned. To the point of Gethsemane where he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. After that time of praying through um, blood and sweat, he's going to come out and go and act. But first, he goes away to pray. Managers, entrepreneurs who bring in partners have to learn the act of seeking alignment so that the people who've placed their trust, their investment, their capital with you to execute a plan will then feel freer to release you to go out there and act because they know that you've aligned your understanding and your thinking with your objective. You have a shared objective and therefore you can go forward and act. Let me find out from you about turning point. What would you call the turning point or watershed moment in your own life as a company? And 
if can you find any triggers, any things that trigger the turning point? I mean, I'm sure that there are people who started business with you around the same time, the same year, but something happened that literally shot you to a new space altogether. What triggered, if there were turning points, what triggered them? Um, Albert, I'll speak specifically to that turning point, and then I also shed some light on the build-up to that turning point. Right. And I make that point because a lot of people like a breakthrough story, but often don't get the build-up to the breakthrough. And the build-up is what we all want so that we can actually reach the breakthrough. Right. So the breakthrough point actually starts from October 21, 2008, where we're in a board meeting. And um, Ehi and I had made a presentation to, to the boards sort of spelling out a number of exciting projects we were working on and uh, we referred to it in the board report as the strategic asset matrix we said here are strategic assets and there were about eight items and um, our board at the time this is before we'd raised any capital any private equity as we did last year so this is 2008 the feedback we had from the board in the meeting was guys why don't you narrow this down it's a long broad list to one or two things that you within it that you actually have in hand versus the things that you are prospecting and running around and chasing after and we argued in the meeting and said no 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 we have to be chasing all these things because you know if we're not tomorrow they may not be there they were like no guys the results now are not good your balance sheet is not looking good what's important to do now is to identify just one or maximum two things that are advanced, that are in hand, and focus on those. We continued to argue. In fact, we didn't really agree or settle on it in the meeting. But when we stepped out, I remember saying to her, hey, you know what, we've tried a number of things that haven't worked so well. Why don't we try this out, what they're saying? Cut down the number of things we're focusing on to just one or two things that we have in hand, as they said, and see whether we can find, taking a second look, at these things and see whether we can find more value in them. Within four to six weeks, we multiplied our business fivefold with those two things we narrowed down to, focused on, applied some disciplined execution to. And at the time, there was no new management, no new people, no new capital. There was nothing new that we applied, no new contracts, no new clients. Same clients we had. Two projects we already had in hand, we were already working on, focused on, disciplined, and we multiplied them because we took a fresh look at them. We stopped saying, we set aside all the different proper explanations why those two areas were not doing well, and we took a fresh look. It was sort of a mindset change at that point. But the build-up, what led to our even accepting the advice that we got in that board meeting on October 21 in 2008, and why we effected the change, we had read... And it's amazing, having listened to Pastor Otabel's advice at the end of his preaching today on mindsets, read three books. We had read three books that year that transformed the way we looked at how we manage and how a business should be um, operated. And some key concepts that came out of what we read was that it's fundamental in your entrepreneurial venture to separate the functions of the entrepreneur from the manager, from the technician. What you do to generate the produce every day, that orchestration that requires some specific technical skills must be separated from the management oversight that goes to the production and must be separated from the entrepreneurial function, which is about 
introducing new ideas. And so you must be operating a cycle that is from innovation to quantification to orchestration. And you must stop working in the business as an entrepreneur and move to working on the business as an entrepreneur, which means the business becomes your product. It's no longer those cakes you bake or that software code you produce or those tomatoes you grow. That becomes the focus. But the system that you use to perfect a consistent process and a growing yield. And that's the quantification you're talking about. Well, the quantification is when you take any new innovative idea and you test it to make sure that the yield is good before you put it into your production system. If it's not good, you send it back into your innovation cycle and you improve it so that you don't disturb your mature processes with new things that are not mature and will interrupt them. In fact, there is a very um, good example of this which people see but may not know. Anyone who is maybe a corporate IT manager who's been buying Dell laptops may have noticed that they have Two lines. They have, uh, I think, what they call the latitude, and what they and the other line um, is it called the experience. There's another line. Well, what happens in Dell since I worked there is that the latitude line comes to the market, is targeted at corporates, and doesn't have any new untested equipment in it. So even if there's some latest cutting-edge video drivers and adapters, they don't put it in the latitude. They put it in the consumer line for gamers who want the latest thing, even though it may break. But they keep the mature, tested components that will give reliability to the corporate side. They separate new, fresh ideas from mature, established processes. That's one of the challenges that the entrepreneur has to learn. The typical entrepreneur is brimming with ideas and keeps wanting to try new things, but doesn't have a, a a stable, growing business if they keep interrupting their mature processes with innovation. So your quantification process allows you to test your ideas. But the key learning there was stop working in the business, work on the business. Start looking at the business as your product. What are its objectives? What are the outcomes over time? Shape that, fashion that, mold that. That's the job of the entrepreneur. So it's from innovation to quantification to orchestration. To orchestration. It's how many countries are you operating in Kofi? Um, so we have in terms of your products and services. Yeah, so we have service delivery in about twenty-five countries now in Africa, Middle East, and Asia, and wow. um, one or two countries on the border of Europe. If you call Uzbekistan in Europe, it depends on what your geography is. But that's how far we've reached with our we've reached technology. With Uzbekistan. Yes. Some of us only watch them when they play football, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> if you want to move your business from Kokomilne to Uzbekistan. Tonight, we'll give you a few pointers about what to do differently. And um, I, I particularly feel excited about the turning point because you talked about the fact that you went into a meeting with preconceived ideas. You felt very strongly about them. You had to deal with differing opinions from your board, and you were courageous enough to listen to those ideas. And here you are today, a number of years after, and wisdom is justified in her children. Several times, we miss out on those turning point moments. And the build-up is fantastic. Just by way of interest, you talked about the three books you read. I'm sure my listeners want to know just an idea. What what books were those? So the first one in sequence, if I get my sequence right, was E-Myth Revisited. Right. The author is Michael E. Gerber. Gerber, yeah. Right. The second one, um, funny enough, was a a, a book titled The 10-Day MBA. Right. Um, and I can't remember the author. Um, 
The third one, and I don't recall the exact time at which we read it in the sequence of events, was Jim Collins's "Good to Great." Right. Yeah. Which. So, um, yeah, the 10-day MBA, Good to Great, and E-Myth Revisited. Those are the three books that he read, but you don't necessarily have to read those three. Just find yourself three books that speak to an issue that is strong on your heart. And who knows, the experience of other people can help you find your own space and live out your dream. Kofi, let me just find out from you. So as a CEO, how, how many people do you employ? Um, today, we're about uh, somewhere between 75 and 80. So eight. um, Between Accra and Lagos. Yeah. Right. So, so you operate an office in Accra and an office in Lagos. In Lagos. So, at that times you, you sleep in Ghana, you, you wake up in Lagos. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few times where I wake up and I, it takes a few seconds to recall where exactly I am. Wow. Uh, right. Yeah. And so, 80 families literally depend on you, for your leadership for, for a living, and, and you, you've, you've got to get it right. As a CEO, do you find that sometimes you're making a decision and you know you are alone on that decision? Yes, I would qualify alone as being that you know that the consequences of the decision are yours. You bear them and you're being relied upon by both the people on top of you, your board and your shareholders, your management team and and everyone else. Um, um, decision making, however, is 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 essentially what when you wake up in the morning as a CEO you have to be prepared to do and your entire personal psychology has to be fine-tuned to be ready to make decisions because lots of things don't happen until decisions are made mm. yeah. I like the part lots of things don't happen until decisions are made so a, a leader must tune yourself to make decisions right. right walk us through some of the decisions that you you, you have to make as a leader some of the, the yeah. big ones well, um, one classic description of the job of a CEO there um, is allocating capital, setting the direction, which is strategy, building the leadership team, and creating the culture of the organization. So if you look across these four things, the decisions you are making um, are about how do you bring about the strategy and the direction and communicate it and get it effective. You are building together a leadership team that's actually going to communicate this down the line and carry it out but almost most importantly you are crafting and reinforcing a culture through things you reward and things you unreward actively through the organization so that you have what Jim Collins calls a cult-like culture that literally sheds off um, people that don't align and attracts people who reinforce what you're trying to do. Now, your decisions every day do not always come out nicely in these four boxes I've, as I've outlined them. But Walk us through them again. Allocation of resources. So you're also allocating capital, which right. essentially means that you're deciding where to spend, right. which amounts to what you are determining as important. People are seeing as a result of the things you are approving and the values are put into it. Allocating capital. The second one is um, building the culture. The third one is, um, again, building the leadership team. And the fourth is setting the direction or the strategy of the organization. 
allocating culture, building your leadership team, setting the strategy, allocating capital, allocating capital, and then setting the strategy. So these are the four things that the leader makes decisions on on a day by day basis. You want to note these down in your notes, and I'm sure that this week, as you make a decision as a leader, you will be finding out which of these four things does it fall under. Let's let's cross to the issue of managing time because. I mean, it, it, they're related, making decisions and, and managing your time because you, you're running a, a multinational, as it were. Um, how do you manage your time to ensure that the various stakeholders are satisfied? Yeah. Um, time is the most important asset. Um, whatever you are asking people to work on, um, whatever signals you are sending about what is important, that communicates what the organization is about, Time is essentially the underlying denominator. And so you are, or in my job, it's it's increasingly about finding and striking the right balance. You sacrifice certain things, as in you don't align your time with certain things so that you can apply time to the most important things that you can impact. You almost sounded like Mike Medok. (laughs) Mike Medok gave a matrix this week about, about time apportioning time and and most people found it shockingly real he says listen if my budget or if my if 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 my budget is a million uh, a year and i have 50 weeks in a year let me assume that i 52 weeks in a year let me assume that i use two of them for vacation so i work for 50 weeks let me assume that i work for eight hours a day and five days a week that is 40 40 hours a week mm-hmm. times 50 that is 2000 hours it's simple mm-hmm. it means that dividing them 1 million by 2000 every hour of my working time is worth 500 dollars mm-hmm. so don't come and sit in front of my office uh, in front of me at my my desk and say you you were passing and you stopped by to chat that's for every hour you spend with me that's 500 dollars gone and if your budget is bigger he says well it would mean as much as nine thousand dollars per, per hour and suddenly everybody was like, Whoa, how well are you using your time as a person? And so what you're you saying really is that it, it will be necessary for a leader to discontinue some things and redirect yes. the time towards more important things. Oh, yes. I, um, you have to make lots of sacrifices. But again, this is another area where you'll be making decisions because there are lots of things in front of you competing for your time. Now, where you decide to place your time sends a signal to your organization as what you are determining as important. You know, so smart professionals will align their activities with where they see their leaders going. So if in your organization you are seen to spend time doing certain things, then those things will be interpreted as being important for the organization. So not only are you not only do you need to spend your time on the things that you can that the things that are most important and that you can impact the most but you are sending a signal that's right. determining how everybody else spends right. Right. their time as well so so if i understand you right you're saying that the those following pick their vibes from the leader and so the, how well the leader uses his or her time mm-hmm. would influence how the how people behind steps. you also use their time absolutely what will be the critical challenge for emerging leaders managers coming through, people who are looking at you and saying, I want to be the next Kofidazi, or even working within your organization and wanting to rise to the top, what should be the things that they should be running through their minds? What will be the critical challenges that they should be confronting? Again, going back to time, understanding how to measure the long term 
the midterm and the short term and being knowledgeable of the connection from short to mid to long term, meaning that the things you're doing now have an impact on tomorrow and have an and, and, and cascade upwards and have an impact on a longer period next week, next month, next year. And so you want to be very jealous of how you're investing and how you're spending your time, what you're reading, what you're building up towards. Now, that brings us to values because those essentially determine how you apply yourself and how you use your time. You'll be surprised how things you do or things you choose not to do come back to set you up in a particular direction with the things you have as an outcome. You want to choose your values and be authentic and stick to them so that you are known for something and people can be attracted to support you knowing that there's a certain outcome they can get from you. That's what in business is called track record. Right. That it's understood that um, given certain inputs, you will go in a certain direction and the likelihood that you'll get an outcome is proven by what you've done in the past. So you want to look at what you're doing now. It's influenced by what you've done all the way. I mean, if you can cast your mind back to even primary school. We have stories of things we've done that we remember. It, they continue to shape you going forward. So looking forward to where you want to be what you're doing now is what is most critical. Be very selective in terms of how you use your time and how you apply it. Um, in his book, Stephen Covey, writing about trust, he says, um, he, he tries to allude to the fact that trust is one of the most crucial um, elements in building business. He actually builds some link with trust as equity. And it's interesting to hear you allude to the fact that your track record has something to do with how people trust you because they can see that given these circumstances, I can put my hand on my chest and say Kofi will never make this choice. So you're saying that your values then determine even how you use your time. So give us, give us a, 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 a picture of your life as it rolls out on a day-by-day basis, how do you spend your day? Because you've talked about reading, you've talked about making choices that reflect appropriateness of your time. Just show us an idea about how you as a leader spend your day. Well, I'll, I'll say briefly what I try to do and then what actually happens. I try to separate what is urgent from what is important, something I also learned from reading R. Covey. He has a book on that. Um, because when you walk into the office, urgent things hit you. So you need some time to spend on what's important. So you lock your door? Well, I spend my journey to the office very well. In fact, so as a result, I don't drive myself. I use a driver specifically so I can do a lot of the important, focused communication on my way into the office. So this is before I have a physical encounter with either uh, my team or clients or whomever I'm going to engage with. I spend a lot of time at that point communicating that's where the things i have forgotten which people haven't given me feedback on start popping up in my head but if i roll back before that um i do a brief and i'll be honest it's not very long a very brief devotion in the morning to first of all align with my maker to try and get bring my purpose alignment before autonomy alignment before autonomy thank you try and bring my purpose back forward and i i have very young children so i spend if i'm at home and increasingly i'm not at home i'm waking up in a hotel in another city 
somewhere else in Africa. But if I'm at home, I go out of my way to spend physical time with my children. That grounds you and tells them deeply that you care about them so that when you're not there, that connection remains. remains. Now, so I get into the office, and then at that time, you've changed domain. It's physical. Now there's flesh, and we're physical beings. So being physically present has an impact. At that point, what starts happening is people you greet, and especially in, in, in Ghana and in Africa, people want to be greeted. Um, some of us are not very good greeters, but we are learning. So people you greet feel that you've connected, you've paid attention with them, and so you go out of your way as you're going along to greet. There are mornings when, because of what I'm thinking of, I barely drop my bag. I don't use a briefcase. I use a backpack. In fact, there are some mornings where I don't even walk into my office, and I walk straight into somebody else's office. And the meeting starts. With my backpack, so that they know I came to them for them, and it starts. And it's often because I was using one of the products we've developed, one of the interfaces, as I was on my way in, and I saw something that needed to be done differently, and I want to go and speak to somebody because they will treat it as important because I came and spoke to them about it. They will see that the CEO was using the thing they worked on. The CEO knows that you are the guy working on it. That makes them feel important. And he has something to say to you about it. He didn't even go to your boss or to your boss's boss, the exec. He came straight to you. So I go directly to people when I have the opportunity and speak to them to give them a sense of how important what they are working on is so that they understand how important it is for them to change something the way in which I, I understand it will have an impact. Right. Um, and, and, and the physical part of my day is essentially spent largely um, just engaging people, communicating, bringing better insights to what they are working on, how they should be focused, how they should be aligned. On a scale of 0 to 10 or 1 to 10, with 1 meaning um, least important and 10 meaning top priority, I'm going to give you a, a few words. Just give me, give me a number. Zero, 1 to 10, teamwork for you. 10 being the highest, yes. teamwork is a nine, 9 and a half. Discipline. Discipline is a solid 10. Innovation. Innovation is a 9.75. Technology. Technology is a 9. Wow. I'm sure if I give you all of them, you give me 10 for all of them. If, if, you, if you gave me trust, I would put trust at a 10. Right. Yeah, so I put discipline and trust at a 10. I would also put focus at a 10. Everything else follows from there. Right. So trust, discipline, focus, they are 10s. They are 10s. Some, somehow so around the 9.75 and the 9s. Which one would be a 1 or a 2? A 1 or a 2 will be self. Thank you for listening to Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast by Arbet and Comfort Okran. Like our Facebook and Twitter pages at Albert N. E. Okran and Comfort Okran A for free resources and information about our itinerary, conferences, and media broadcast. For speaking appointments, email albert.okran at icloud.com or SMS or WhatsApp us on plus 233-2499-99000. You may also subscribe to amazon.com or your favorite online bookstore for copies of our inspirational books and audiovisual materials. Until we come your way again, always remember, you are blessed indeed. Oh, 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 oh,